What's up and welcome back, Everyday Jesus family. I am so excited to be entering into our lessons on leadership series about Nehemiah. I've told you guys before, Nehemiah is one of my favorite leaders, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And I think it just comes because it was very surprising to me how much I would love it. And that's what I love about scripture is when it's very surprising the depth of it, the way that it can come alive if you just spend time soaking over it. The very first time that I did a study on Nehemiah was with a group of girls when I was in PA school. And I remember thinking, hmm, Nehemiah, I don't even think I've ever read Nehemiah before. And it just came alive to me. And I repeated this study again a few years later with another group of girls, and it just excited me all over again. I know that you'll get some big nuggets on leadership with Nehemiah. I think he's an incredible example of someone that we can learn from, but I I hope also that it just sparks an awareness of the depth of Scripture when we really linger over it. And so, um, yeah, let's dive in together into Nehemiah. So before we kind of dig into some of the scripture, I do want to set up the stage a little bit. Nehemiah is about a thousand years after the exodus with Moses. Um, And this is after the time that the Jews have entered into the promised land. It's when, um, you know, uh, they've been conquered by the Babylonians and again in exile and then made to leave Jerusalem. And they're kind of scattered out in different sections. Now, about 70 years after um, Babylon conquered Jerusalem, the Jews were allowed to go back, but only about 2% of the Jews actually went back to the promised land. Um, And that seems a little bit odd, right? It's like, man, you guys spent all that time in the wilderness. And what about all those triumphant moments that you had with Moses? How come when, you know, you had this opportunity to go back to this land that the Lord promised to you, only 2% came back. And I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think one big thing is you just get settled where you are, right? So they had been in Babylon and all these other places and they worked and raised families and children and and your your vision gets so focused on those sorts of things. But so then you have the story of Ezra kind of rebuilding the the temple and the spiritual foundation um, in Jerusalem. And about 15 years after that is when we have the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is in Persia at this time. And so he's never actually been in Jerusalem. Um, his family was scattered to Persia. He was born in Persia, and really he's doing quite well there. He is um, cut bare to the king, which sounds doesn't sound like a very exciting high position, but apparently it is. This is a big spot for him to be at. And there's a few things that I want to hit specifically just on this opening part here. The first section of this book starts with just a conversation that he's having with one of his brothers. And it says that they're just talking about the Jews, just concerning the Jews and those who had been exiled. And then the remnant that did actually return to Jerusalem. He's like, well, you know, how are they doing? And his brother is saying, you know, they're in great trouble and great shame. 
Like the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. And see, at that time, having strong walls around your city was very important. It's what protected you from, um, you know, other people coming in and and stealing things from you or attacking you or whatnot. Like uh, a city was strong if its walls were strong. And so this just tells us about the state that Jerusalem is in right now. But what I want you to pay attention to is Nehemiah's response to hearing this, this state of the Jews. This He's a Jew, but he's grown up in Persia, and he's doing quite well for himself, right? And it says that as soon as Nehemiah heard these words, that he sat down and wept and mourned for days. More than that, he fasted and prayed before the Lord because his heart broke for the Jews. His heart broke for the things that the Lord's heart broke for. And I think, number one, that tells us a lot about Nehemiah and his relationship with the Lord and the closeness that he has with the Lord. Because even if he was miles and miles away from Jerusalem and the promised land, his heart ached for them you know, and and he wept before the Lord. He immediately went to the Lord in prayer. And I think, number one, that's an important part, right? So a lot of times leaders and, and people who, you know, are very eager to make change, sometimes we just want to immediately step into action, right? We can be moved by emotion or feelings similar in the way that Nehemiah was, But I think we have to pause before we take action and remember to pray. And this is going to be a big theme in Nehemiah. Even before he takes any steps towards going to Jerusalem or trying to rebuild those walls, we see, number one, that he prayed and fasted. And what we're going to see later is that from the time period that he first gets this news, it says it happened in the month of Chislev. And this is at the very beginning of chapter one. And if you just immediately read chapter one into chapter two, it seems like, you know, maybe 15 minutes have passed, right? Because that's maybe all that passed for you, probably less. But if you really look, then in chapter two, before he even asks or makes any sort of action about, you know, the state of the walls and what he wants to do and how he wants to contribute to that, um, it says um, in chapter two that it's in the month of Nisan in the 20th year before he ever kind of approached the king with his request. And if you just read that quickly, you think, oh, okay, you know, 15 minutes passed and, you know, Nehemiah prayed and fasted and wept and he moved on and then he went straight into action. But actually there's four months of time between these two chapters. Four months of preparation, spiritual preparation, of praying, of seeking the heart of God. And I've heard this initial, you know, weeping moment and prayerful prayerful moment that Nehemiah had described as a holy discontentment. He connected with the heart of the Father, and he wept for the state of his Jewish brothers and sisters, even though it's not directly affecting him. It has no bearing on him and his well-being. He works for the king. I'm sure he sleeps in nice sheets. He has you know, good food, fine wine, 
None of this is directly affecting him because his heart is so deeply entwined with the heart of God. He shares a holy discontentment for the things that break the Lord's heart. You know, like that scripture that says, you know, love justice, seek mercy, walk humbly. You know, it, when we really have the heart of the Father, when we truly have a holy discontentment, it motivates us for change for things that really have no direct reward on us. That's when you know that you're really in in a place that's in line with the Father. If you really don't have a whole lot to gain from it, and your heart is aching for the well-being of someone else, like Paul, I was talking with a friend at coffee um, just this past week, like Paul, he says, you know, I would rather be cut off from Christ so that you could know Him. That's profound. That's a deep love for somebody else. That is some holy discontentment for somebody else's state of being. To say that I would rather be cut off from Christ just so that you could know Him, that is being in line with the Father. And the next piece that I really want to hit on, so number one, we see that strong leaders pray, right? Before we take action, before we move we pray and not just a 15 minute prayer, not like, hey, God, I really want to do this thing. I hope you bless it. No, on my face, weeping, fasting, pausing, and then listen to the context of his prayer, how he prays um, for his his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and their state. It says, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I in my father's house, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments. Did you get that? Did you hear that? He didn't, he took the the position of we. And I think so often, sometimes when we see somebody in a distressed state, we just immediately think they right? Well, they messed up. They weren't really keeping your commandments. So that's why they're in that situation. If they had just loved the Lord God with all their heart and all their mind and all their strength, then they wouldn't be in this state. And so, you know, you kind of just reap what you sow. But see, that's not the position that Nehemiah took. And it's not the position that good leaders take. And it's not the position that you take when you live from a life of holy discontentment. See, Nehemiah took ownership of their sins as his own. He says, we sinned against you. We sinned against you, not they. Oh, they did it. So that's kind of what they deserve. They're kind of in that position. If they had done, you know, life like I had did life, then maybe they would be cupbearers to a king as well. And I don't think you change the world with that position. I think it's powerful and it shows the humility that it is important um, in leadership, right? Because this is we, this is us. This is the kingdom of Lord. This is the church. This is all of us. And 
You know, if parts of our body are broken or parts of our body are sick, then we are all not living in optimal wellness. And so we all have to take a cohesive identity as being children of Christ. And we don't just shrug and say, oh, well, if you had just done a little bit better. No, this is we. This is us. We have all sinned against you. Father, please turn your ear and please let it be attentive to us. And I love that. And we're going to see that again in upcoming chapters, that that mindset of we instead of me or they. And another piece that kind of just highlights Nehemiah's humility is that when we see this chapter one, when it opens up with him finding out about the state of Jerusalem, his heart's breaking, he's praying for the the Jews and and certainly what his position is going to be and what is his part to play and in the costly nature of that, right? That's going to cost him the position that he holds if he's truly, really willing to live a life of passion. That's a life of sacrifice. That's a life of giving up things to pursue the things of the Father. And it's not until the very end of chapter one where we see that he even references his position. He doesn't start off saying, oh, you know what? I was in Persia. I'm cupbearer to the king. And then my brother came in to talk to me. You don't know anything about his position until you get all the way to the end of the chapter. You see his heart for prayer. You see the heart for his people. People, And then he just references, and at that time I was cupbearer to the king. Because then in chapter 2, we see the relationship that he has with the king and, and the request that he has to make for the king. And so I just want to encourage you. Number one, if you're a Christian and you love the Lord, then you are a leader. You're a leader in the spheres in which you exist. And I think some key points that we can learn from Nehemiah today is, number one, the power of prayer and not quick prayer, meaningful prayer, prayer and fasting of taking time to pause and go before the Lord with humility. And I think if we're really going to live a life, holy discontentment, a life of meaning We will have to take a humble position, and it will require a sacrificial position at times. Because sometimes we say, Lord, I'm willing to go where you need me to go as long as it's just not too costly. As long as my salary stays about the same, as long as I can still afford, you know, these nice clothes or this Botox or, you know, this specific vehicle, as long as I can still do these things and I will pursue everything that you tell me to do. I will post every scripture. I will post a prayer on my Instagram as long as you don't ask me to sacrifice anything. And I think... We miss out on the depths of the places in the ministry that the Lord wants to take us to when we're not willing to have an open-handed position to Him. Father, I want to be humble. I want to be obedient. I want my heart to break for the things that your heart breaks for so that I can live a life of meaning. And so um, wherever you are today, you are a leader. And I would just encourage you to take the humble position of listening to your heart for the things that create a holy discontentment 
What are those things that you are so moved by and not just like a fleeting thing? What is the thing that deep-seated, holy discontentment, you know, maybe that's adoption or maybe that's, you know, abuse or maybe that's, you know, consignment wear or, you know, it's just endless, the things that the Lord can plant on our heart. But He has a specific gift and a specific role that He's given to you. There's a specific lens in which you see the world and there's something that you want to fight for. And it's so deep in your heart and it sets your heart on fire with passion. And you think somebody needs to do something about this. And I would say maybe your heart burns for it because you are the one that the Lord Lord wants to do something about this. And so maybe your four months of prayer about that thing starts right now. Maybe it's access to mental health care. Maybe you want to get your therapist license. Um, maybe you want to start foster care. I would say right now today, ask the Lord to set your heart on fire. And you probably are already thinking of something right now. Start praying. Write it on your calendar. You know, May 3rd, Father, continue to lead me and show me and guide me and direct me in the things that I have a true, holy discontentment for. Help me to chase after your heart. Father, help my heart to break for the things that your heart breaks for and help me to be willing to sacrificially love and serve like you do. So I'm excited to continue this Nehemiah series with you guys next week as we see exactly what happened after Nehemiah took those four months of prayer himself. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today as we are talking about lessons on leadership from Nehemiah. Grab your Bibles. Go ahead and start reading those chapters ahead of time. We're going to jump into chapter two as we see what happens after Nehemiah's holy discontentment in four months of prayer. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Everyday Jesus Community. You can find us on both of those things. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and share with your friends as we dig into the sweet morsels of honey that the Lord has planted in scripture for us. I can't wait to be with you next time. And until then, every day, Jesus. Jesus.